Welcome to part two of our series, looking at litigating in China as a foreign party. In part one, we discuss some of the key things you can do in preparation for litigation in China that would raise your chances of securing a favorable outcome, such as conducting thorough assessments of the political connections and the financial standing of your Chinese counterparties. You'll find that podcast episode and the full article in the description to this episode. In today's episode and part two of the series, the focus is on how PRC courts have handled COVID-related litigation. One year on, after the Supreme People's Court issued three guiding opinions for lower courts to follow, as well as to the wider business community, I'm Vincent Chow, a reporter at China Law and Practice and host of the China Law Podcast, a weekly podcast exploring China's business and financial sectors from a legal perspective. My guest today is Diane Peng, a Beijing-based counsel at Fangda Partners. Diane specializes in disputes, particularly international and foreign-related commercial arbitration and litigation. In today's episode, we discuss how the Supreme Court's guidance has played out in litigation proceedings in practice, the PRC Court's approach to foreign-related litigation in particular, and some of Diane's insights from handling COVID-related cases herself. Diane, welcome to the China Law Podcast. Hello. I want to start by asking you a, a broad question, which is: What are your biggest takeaways from how PRC? Courts have handled COVID nineteen cases so far. Yeah,、uh, first of all, the PRC courts have acknowledged the impact of COVID nineteen、uh, during this、uh, performance of the contract and in contract disputes.、Uh, and in several cases, they recognize this COVID nineteen as a force majeure event. But at the same time, the courts have dealt with this COVID nineteen related case in a cautious manner, and they will consider、uh, the specific. Circumstances of each individual case, in order to avoid parties unfairly exploiting existence of the pandemic to escape their contractual liability. Let me give you an example.、Um, in a sale and purchase agreement dispute, if the seller's costs are significantly increased due to the impact of COVID nineteen, and the continuous performance of the sales contract would be essentially unfair to the seller. The PRC courts will commonly adjust the contractual price in accordance with the principle of fairness. However, if this COVID nineteen is no longer affecting the performance of the contract, or the non-performance or delayed performance is not caused by COVID nineteen, the PRC courts will not support、uh, any claim for exemption of contractual liability or request for termination of the contract. So, just the mere fact that. This COVID nineteen outbreak is a force majeure event. Does not mean that any force majeure claim、uh, will succeed in court. You have to prove that COVID nineteen has disrupted your contract and your contractual performance. Only then will a PRC court accept your claim. Yes. Right. So, are there specific provisions or relief measures that parties to COVID nineteen litigation have especially relied upon? The parties generally cited three key provisions. First, force majeure. This is Article One Hundred Eighty One. And stipulated under the new PRC Civil Code, and change of circumstances. This is Article Five Hundred and Thirty Three of the Civil Code, and the principle of fairness. It's Article Six, and the parties were cited this was as grounds for exemption of liabilities for non-performance or delayed performance caused by COVID nineteen, or at the basis for a request for termination of the contract. And as you have mentioned、uh, last year. The SBC has issued several guiding opinions, and especially in the guiding opinion number two,、um, the SBC provides guidance in the context of a number of specific case examples involving COVID-19. For instance,、um, in cases where the lessee 
is unable to make timely payment of rent due to the impact of COVID-19, and the lessor seeks termination of the lesson contract, the court should not uphold the lessor's claim for termination and should exempt the lessee from liability on grounds of force majeure. And another example is the delayed delivery of the construction projects impacted by COVID-19, where the contractor is unable to deliver the project on time due to the impact of COVID-19, the PRC court should not support the project owner's breach of contract claims. And similarly, if the contractor applies for an extension of the time limit for delivery of the project, the PRC courts should support this application. But the PRC courts will review the actual impact of COVID-19 on the project delivery to see whether this uh, application for extension is necessary. Okay, so we go into much more detail of these key concepts like force majeure and change of circumstances and fairness uh, in the first episode of this podcast, actually, way back in March last year. So I direct listeners to go listen to that if you haven't already. But Diane, so we're now one year on from uh, when the Supreme People's Court issued the the guidance to the lower courts uh, on these sorts of issues. How have the courts applied these concepts, for example, fairness um, in practice? Uh, it, it's very hard to, to, to evaluate uh, to, to what extent is fair or is unfair because the court has to determine each case on a case-by-case uh, -case basis. Like uh, in, the, in this um, guiding opinion number two, it mentioned the uh, offline training. They can alternatively to do the online training. Um, it will not constitute a breach of contract. And similarly, uh, there was a um, you know, fierce confrontation between the international school and the, the kids' parents, because for this private school or international school, the tuition fee has been paid by the parents in advance and should not be refunded. However, uh, for the last spring semester, the kids can only um, learn from home. Then the parents, actually some of the parents have initiated the lawsuits against the, the schools. We have represented a school before a Beijing court. And even in this uh, guiding opinion number two, uh, it says if the school has already offered the online courses, it will not constitute a breach of the contract. However, at the end of the case, the court uh, ordered the school shall return the money or tuition fee to some extent, um, 30 percentage to the parent because the, the court judge just applied this fairness principle. That's an interesting case study because what it shows is that the Beijing court applied the fairness principle to create a compromise uh, where there was a partial but not a full refund. Yes, yes. Okay, I want to ask about foreign related litigation proceedings in China now. Um, and these cases have an additional uh, layer of challenges uh, compared to just straightforward domestic dis disputes uh, given the global pandemic situation. So what are your main observations about how PRC, uh, PRC courts have handled uh, these sorts of disputes? The foreign-related proceedings have um, been slowed down due to the impact of COVID-19. Uh, actually, the SPC has issued this guiding opinion number three, and which provides uh, or stipulates that PRC courts should give this uh, green passage to the foreign parties and to adopt a flexible uh, discretion extension application for those foreign parties to submit those uh, like notarization and certified document to the PRC courts. 
Right, so it's very difficult for some foreign parties to notarize and authenticate important documents uh, during this time. So how, how much time extension have the courts typically given the foreign parties? First of all, the PRC courts will wait or suspend the proceedings. Uh, we, we have represented a French client. Uh, we are waiting them for uh, notarization and certification of the uh, POA uh, for initiating the uh, appeal proceeding. Okay, so POA is the power of attorney document. Yes, and the Sichuan court has waited three months or maybe even longer to wait us for the completion of the documents. And that's because the POA needs to be notarized and authorized in your client's home country, which is France. Um, so the court is now waiting for that to happen. Yes. And in another case, we have represented Indian client. And also we need to, to, to get the notarized uh, POA. But even without that, we have submitted our jurisdictional objection. And we even participate in the... Um, jurisdictional hearing, the court judge allowed us to do so. And now the main proceeding, the substantial proceeding has been suspended and waiting for the notarization documents. Okay, so the courts have afforded you and, and your, your clients some flexibility when it comes to notarizing uh, and authorizing the, the key legal documents. But what about the counterparties themselves? Have, have they been as uh, forgiving as the courts? Sometimes they will, they will challenge. But uh, in the two cases I, uh, I have already mentioned, the counterparty did not challenge. And also in this guiding opinion number three, there is a um, clear provision that the court can grant this extension application. So uh, basically, it's flexible for the court to do, um, to grant us the extension. You mentioned the, the counterparty always challenge the authenticity of the evidence or the uh, authorization documents. It's actually not a uh, pandemic-related case. It's very normal because in the PRC court proceeding, they always need the presentation of the originals of the evidence. Um, for our um, cli foreign clients during the pandemic, they were not able to present because they cannot attend, fly to, to China to attend the hearing. So the originals cannot be uh, presented. So the proceedings has to be suspended or we can apply for, okay, let's put the original thing aside and just proceed our, uh, our proceedings. And then maybe we come back to the originals. Right. So you're saying that it's fairly routine for counterparties in China to challenge the authentic authenticity of, uh, of uh, legal documents. And that doesn't just happen during the pandemic. Always happens. And not only for the foreign related cases, also in uh, domestic cases, people always challenge on the authenticity of the evidence. That's somehow one of the uh, issues. Right. And the, and the travel restrictions not only creates problems when it comes to presenting original documents, but it also creates problems for people themselves entering China. Uh, for example, foreign witnesses and experts uh, who play a key role in litigation. So how, how has this aff affected, uh, you know, litigation strategies and uh, people's and, and, and parties' uh, litigation plans? Uh, yeah, this uh, witness or expert thing uh, would also be a problem for the foreign clients to decide their litigation strategy because uh, we have encountered a case in, uh, in which actually uh, it's a joint venture dispute case and we as foreign uh, joint venture partner would like to um, apply for a judicial audit 
of the joint venture. But at the last, because this COVID-19 impact, our um, foreign CFO cannot fly to China to monitor this judicial audit, then we had not applied for this. Okay, so the, the travel restrictions has meant that litigation strategy, um, your, your litigation strategy had to change um, as you couldn't go ahead with uh, the, the judicial audit that you wanted. But it didn't mean that uh, your litigation was completely defeated because you could uh, proceed with other um, procedures, uh, with uh, other litigation procedures. Yes. But did you petition the Chinese court for suspension of the proceedings or some other um, remedy or exemption that would allow for your foreign CFO to participate? Uh, in this case, no, because we can, as you said, we can proceed other procedures first and maybe when at the later stage we can apply for this judicial audit then uh, in order to avoid the the continuous delay of the proceedings because we're the plaintiff and we would like to proceed the uh, litigation as soon as possible but in some cases if we uh, present to the court that the uh, foreign witness or expert is of great importance of the uh, some issues and we can apply for suspension of the court proceedings. So it depends on the specifics of your case, your litigation strategy, whether you're the plaintiff or you're the defendant. Yes, yes. Okay. And, and what has your experience been with different modes of litigation since the pandemic began? Yeah, so we saw a lot of talk, especially early on uh, during the pandemic. I remember there was a lot of talk about online litigation platforms and internet courts. Um, did it turn out that uh, these these platforms and uh, internet courts were actually used very often. Did you use them much? Uh, actually, we have used these uh, virtual hearings. Uh, we we use these platforms for virtual hearings last year uh, many times. Not only for these foreign related cases, also for domestic cases, because we cannot uh, held any physical hearing last year almost. Uh, so we have actually attended several virtual hearings uh, and. Almost all the courts have developed this online case filing system. So uh, we actually use this a lot. Um, however, I think these platforms uh, may really not be as readily accessible to foreign clients. And foreign clients still need this domestic counsel to assist them in, in accessing or navigating the platform. Because sometimes it's just in Chinese or um, not very uh, readily stable. Uh, I think the PRC courts is trying to are, are trying to develop the new platform. However, there are some um, technical problems need to be settled in the future. So you don't think these alternative litigation channels and platforms will be adopted widely uh, following the pandemic? Yes, because this year we we just we normally do a uh, physical hearing because the 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 court judge may have preference in holding this physical hearing rather than those virtual hearings. So sometimes, especially when the case is complicated, it's really hard to organize a virtual hearing and to let the judge understand our, our position very clearly. China basically uh, back to normal. Great. Well, Diane, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Vincent. And thank you for listening to the China Law Podcast, a weekly discussion of China's business and financial sectors from a legal perspective. Make sure to check out our website, chinalawandpractice.com, to keep up to date with the latest Chinese legal and business news through our in-depth analyses, including contributions from our network of leading lawyers and in-house counsel, as well as full access to a searchable database of English full translations of PRC legislation going back 33 years. Stay tuned, and thanks again for listening.